Welcome and thank you for joining us here for the Bread of Life, a ministry of the Bread of Life Fellowship of Boise, Idaho. Bread and water is what we need and what we have in Jesus Christ. He said, come to me and drink. He said, I am the bread of life. However we adorn our Christian faith, it rests in this most basic thing. Christ is all. Let's learn from him. Let's learn about him. Now here's our teacher, Joel Van Hoogen. Our passage under consideration today is 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 16 through 21, and the theme is reconciliation. All of us can understand the need to be reconciled in relationships, but our need to be reconciled to God goes further and deeper than any disrupted relationship we have ever known on earth. The topic is reconciliation A reconciliation with a good God. You read the book of Psalms, the psalmist will rehearse different attributes of God, but the one attribute he rehearses above all is that God is good. And when he speaks of God's goodness, he's speaking about, in a sense, the undiscriminating nature of God that seeks to bring an advantage to his creation, in particular, an advantage to those men who are made in his image. He's good. He is, we say, good to all. He's a good God. He's a loving God. He's a God who designs blessing. Yet the topic today is reconciliation with this God. And we're going to talk about why we need it, what it is, how it's provided, and what it means for us going forward. You can imagine, if you will, actually you don't really have to imagine this, I don't think. It should be easy for you that there's been a fight in your own home, a disagreement, a disagreeable moment and as a result there's bitterness and there's resentment and there's alienation and separation and division and because of it there's a need for reconciliation and the need for reconciliation assumes a breakdown in a positive relationship playmates fight and they stop playing with one another family members fight and they move about the house in some kind of frigid silence or they carry on stilted conversations or they communicate to one another through a different member of the family at the dinner table it's happened before after the fight a small strip of no man's land begins to run down the middle of the marriage bed don't let a finger go across it after the fight neighbors ignore each other as they both do their yard work on their days off this is separation it's relational displacement These are cases in which reconciliation is called for. But I want you to understand that although these are illustrations that we can identify with, they don't go so far to understand the great divide that stands between the person outside of Christ and God. The person who is lost or the unbelieving person or that stood between those of us before we came to the Lord Jesus Christ. These illustrations of disruption give us a sense and a measure of why reconciliation is needed and the kinds of things that develop between peoples and we understand them because we've experienced them. But the division that stands between us and God is not the result of a misunderstanding. It's not the result of a moment of irritation or the compounding of irritation or a moment when you were fed up and you vented because you said the wrong thing and you don't even know what you said. That's not what's going on here. The alienation that we've experienced, the separation that we've experienced is the greatest of all alienations, the most profound and deepest kind of separation. In fact, it's so profound that God refers to it as death. 
if you look at the word death in your Bibles and you read it, you know that it signifies different things, but at the core, at the center of the word death is always the idea of separation. So when Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin is death, or when Ephesians declares that the first state of all people is to be dead in their trespasses and sins, we should understand that this is a reference to the relational separation that exists between people and God that it is of such a finality that it can be only considered as a death. Some people kind of know what that's like. They know that experience, for example, when a husband and wife walk out of divorce court and you feel as though and they know that there's, it's as if a death has resulted here, but even that doesn't go as far as what God is communicating to us. In terms of the divide that exists between the person and God himself because of their sins. So why do we need to be reconciled to God? Well, it's because God takes your sin personally. It's because God takes your sin personally. It offends him. It grieves him. It alienates him. Isaiah 59.2 is a verse that you should mark in your Bible and memorize, although it's a stunning thing to memorize, but it lays the groundwork for understanding what it is that God wants to do and what God wants to accomplish in our lives. And it's this, your iniquities have made a separation between you and God. Your sins have hid his face from you so that he does not hear you. God takes your sin personally. People, because of sin, are not only separated from God, but this separation reveals actually an enmity between God and themselves. We're not talking about a reconciliation between old friends or feuding friends. We're actually talking about a reconciliation when we talk about being reconciled with God between enemies. We're enemies with God. Now, I know that doesn't sound right because we've all learned that God loves the sinner, but he hates the sin. And so you can think to yourself, well, as long as he loves me, as long as he loves me, regardless of my behavior, that's fine with me. But you'd be wrong. God's hatred for sin puts the one committing sin in the crosshairs of his holy wrath and judgment against that sin. And in your sin, you've placed yourself at odds with God. God takes your sins personally. In fact, he's reading it right because it is personal. Your sin is an expression of your animosity towards God, your resistance and your rebellion against him. The fact is, if God loves the sinner and hates the sin, the other side of the equation is this. Men love their sin and resent the sinner's God. That's how it is. That's how it works. I can recall when I was a young man that I was actually witnessing to a young friend of mine who had grown up in a church but was rebelling and had wandered away and was enjoying his sin. And I put before him the idea that God was going to judge him for his sins. And we talked for a long time. I remember we were sitting on a stone staircase. Eventually he said to me that he wanted to pray and he wanted to turn from his sin and he wanted to give his life back to God. And so I agreed that I would listen with him as he prayed his prayer and he did. And it, was a, it sounded like a correct prayer to me. He seemed to be saying the right things. He was actually tearful as he prayed. And, and then when he was done, my expectation would be there would be a sense of relief that came over him, but there wasn't. Instead, 
He just sat there for a while. He seemed sincere. But then he began to beat into the floor of that stained staircase his fist over and over again. And then with clenched teeth, he turned to me and said, I wish it wasn't true. I wish it wasn't true. I wish it wasn't true. Without a change in our nature, we love our sins and wish to be free to pursue them. And we want to be delivered not from our sins, but from a God who would deliver us from our sins and a God who would keep us from them. And this is the historical review of the enmity that exists now between God and man. It's God against us in our sins and us against God with our sins. What needs to happen? Well, there needs to be a reconciliation between these two parties. There needs to be a whole new peace that's established between them. Unless there is a reconciliation between the offended God and the offender of God, there can be no peace. Just like there can be no peace in the home unless there's reconciliation between offended members. Or there can be no peace in the marriage bed unless there's a reconciliation between the two occupying it. And there's no peace in the neighborhood unless there's a reconciliation between the feuding neighbors. There can be no peace in life unless there is a reconciliation with the God of life. We oftentimes think that if we just do a good enough job of ignoring our differences, if we just seem to set aside our differences and learn to go on that we've made way for peace, if we can just come to the point where there's an absence of the expression of hostilities that we've made the way for peace. But true peace is not the absence of hostility. It's not the ability to ignore or suppress the issues or somehow to put them behind you. It's the removal of the alienation. It's the covering of the ground of separation. And this requires reconciliation. And reconciliation can be a mathematical term. It's making all the numbers add up so everything equals the same for everyone. Now the good news is that God can reconcile His enemies. That's the good news. Romans could also be an important verse for us. There it says of the Christian that when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of His Son. God reconciles His enemies. What is reconciliation might be the next question we want to ask ourselves. And I'll tell you what it's not. Reconciliation is not apologizing. Reconciliation is not saying you're sorry. It's not even making things right. It's not the aftermath after a just punishment. It's not forgiving someone, although that's important and it's a part of reconciliation or it brings us to it. It's not even being forgiven. It's not forgetting the thing. It's not saying, let's put this behind us as we said. It's but what reconciliation is, it's being restored to one another. The word here actually is katalasso in the Greek and it basically means to change. When a person is regenerate, when a person is born again, what's happened is there's a change in their nature. Internally, who they are changes. God gives you a whole new nature. When you are reconciled, there's a change in relationship. God gives you a whole new relationship with himself. When we were little and we used to have fights with our brothers and sisters, our parents at some point in time would find out what the problem was that would make us resolve the issue, and they'd make us say we are sorry. We did this with our own kids as well. But 
after we were done saying sorry, that wasn't enough. Usually we had to say we were sorry about five or six times until we nailed the tone down right. right? <laughs> and then even when the tone was right, that usually didn't go far enough. At that point in time, it was, okay, give your sister a hug. Now, kiss your sister. Give him a kiss. I said, give him a kiss. <laughs> and you did. And then you punched each other in the arm, and then you went off to play again. And... Reconciliation is kind of found in this kissing and making up part of the whole process. It's when the ground has been covered and you're in one another's arms again. And yet, do you see how profound a word it is when we speak about it in terms of being reconciled with God? It's not just brothers who've got on the wrong side of one another or irritated one another or who've broken one another's toys. It's people who have set themselves at enmity with God and brought Him at enmity with them because of their sins. And yet God brings us to a place and a point where we're able to kiss and make up with Him. Only after God's Spirit has shown us something of our offense to God can we grasp something higher of His reach to reconcile us to Himself. Now, treasure His embrace of the sinner. You've been listening to The Bread of Life, a ministry of the Bread of Life Fellowship in Boise, Idaho. For a copy of this broadcast, just call us at 208-331-4096. Until the next time. God bless you.